What a glorious promise. When we are battered and bruised and broken and knocked down by Satan, the promise of we'll see our Savior face to face. And in our different lives, our different activities, we face challenges, and it seems that our church here especially has really gone through the storm in a very short time. But the blessing and the comfort of that song, thank you. Whoever chose that song, it was chosen very appropriately. Father, as we pause in your presence now to open your word, we pray as we just pause to think of the challenges that you've allowed to come our way. We think of the hand of death that has come in and struck hard. But we pray, Father, that our faith will never waver, that our hope will never grow dim, that our assurance of the second coming will never be shaken, and that the certainty of your appearance will remain in our hearts. Thank you for this message that we will see you face to face. And now as we open your word, we pray that there will be a word from you that speaks to each one of our hearts, individually and to us as a church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, the rugby world unites every four years around the World Cup. Driving through here this morning, coming past the garage, for whatever reason, on two of the buckies, they had a springbok emblazoned there, reminding us that it's World Cup. And we know that the supporters of the springboks will hope that there will be a fourth cup, or the fourth time, rather, the cup will be coming home. Now, the opening match between France and the All Blacks were watched by 17 million viewers. But during the last World Cup, in total there were 857 million who watched. And it's expected that this time round it will be over a billion. And if we ask ourselves the question and examine this phenomena, we can truly say that sportianity, that's not a word, don't look it up in the dictionary, has taken the place of Christianity. A few years ago, Christianity was the biggest movement on the planet. It is now sportianity. According to the Pew Research Center, the number of Christians worldwide by 2050 will be 2.9 billion, which is a lot. But 
the opening of the last Olympics, the opening ceremony alone was watched by four billion people. And so we have billions of spectators, or rather, yes, billions of spectators and just a few thousand participants. In those Olympics, we had a total of 11,000 athletes across the different uh, sporting codes. For the rugby, there are 660 players in, 30, in 20 teams taking to the field. But so many spectators. Now, spectators are important. But if we had spectators only and no athletes, there would be no event. We know without spectators, as in COVID, the sporting event doesn't just have that same, you know, excitement. But it's the players that make it important. You know, there are a few put in the hours of preparation. But there are many of us sitting on the couches with our packets of chips and bultong and cool drink and popcorn telling them how to play. And don't talk about when we discuss the coach and those who do the kicking. We can do better. Now, the Roman world was well acquainted with sport and the sporting motif. We know the Greeks who were there before the Romans. They had exported gymnasiums and athletic events throughout the empire. And under Roman rule, this continued. And Paul, a Roman citizen, must have been very acquainted with this kind of life. And I suspect he loved sports and athletics. I suspect he might even have been an athlete. He might even have been a boxer. Now, I don't know how you would have felt if your pastor was a boxer, especially when it came to difficult business meetings. But quite a few times in his letters and his writings, Paul refers to Christian life. In fact, church life in sporting terms. When giving his testimony in Philippians 3, verse 13 and 14, he says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And you can just see these 100-meter sprinters going, and they are pressing towards that mark. And Paul uses that language here. In his letter to Galatians, he sounds like a coach as he admonishes them in Galatians 5 or 7. You are running well, but who hindered you? And he brings home the Christian truth. Who hindered you in obeying what you have been taught? You are running well. 
But as he moved towards the end of his life, he reflects on his ministry and his Christian experience. And he does so in sporting language. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. To Timothy, he admonishes in 2 Timothy 2 verse 5, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And to the church at Corinth, he says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, do you not know that in a race, the runners all compete, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you win it. Now, athletes exercise self-control in all things, right? You know the rigorous life that they follow. Paul is saying that, verse 24. Athletes exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath or reward. But we, an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly. And here's why I say I think he was a boxer, because he says, nor do I box as though beating the air. But I punish my body and enslave it, so that after proclaiming to others, I myself should not be disqualified. And those of you who have been to the gym, even there just to drink a, a, a little bit of water, but you see those guys, you know, at the back there, the big men, where you just walk quietly along the side and you go and do a few little things on the treadmill, you see these guys with those heavyweights. I punish my body, says Paul, and enslave it. I don't box as though beating the air. One more sporting illusion from Paul, from our scripture reading of today, where he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, there are spectators in the stand, he says. Let us not lay aside, or rather, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. And to his hearers, the Hebrews, listening to him in, 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 in the book that he writes, he brings to their mind what would be seen in the stadiums with those runners getting rid of every excessive weight. Now, they went to the extreme. They would remove all their clothes. Now, maybe some would run even faster if they took off all their clothes. They wanted to get out of the vision of the spectators as quickly as possible. But they, they, let, they, they got rid of anything. And remember, they wore long robes. Now imagine trying to run with the robe, flapping around your legs. But with one thing in mind, running the race with perseverance that is set before us. So Paul encourages his readers and us, the listeners, to run the race. And we might ask, what race? 
Well, Paul doesn't leave us in darkness. In chapter 11, he gives us a clue. He talks about the great heroes of faith, those who ran the race set before them. And then he begins chapter 12 with the words, Therefore. Now, in Scripture you get the clue. When a passage begins with, Therefore. It's a conclusion being drawn from what came before. And so he goes through the list of the heroes of faith. And then he says, Therefore. Because you have these witnesses. Now some say, while well, Paul is saying they are sitting up in heaven watching us. No, Paul is saying they are testimonies, witnesses in that sense. They give witness to. They testify to the life of faith. You have a great cloud of witnesses. For this reason, he says, therefore, in the same way, because of what they have done, they have run the race, so now you run the race. Chapter 11, as we said, gives us examples of this great cloud of witnesses. Those whose lives bear testimony to what it means to live the lives of faith. But who are these heroes? We know the greats of Bible history, Noah, Abram, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Jephthah, and many others. And in reading Paul's list from the Hall of Fame, including David, I'm sure the early Christians said, wait, pastor, get real now. How can we compare to those giants of faith? Those were the giants who strode the pages of Scripture like great colossus, like superheroes performing the mighty exploits for God. After all, Noah found grace in the sight of God in a generation that caused God to regret that He had created mankind. Abram was known as the father of the faithful. Jacob, the patriarch whose sons became the pillars of the tribes of Israel. Joseph, the example of integrity in the face of extreme adversity. And Moses, called the meekest man who ever lived, the great lawgiver, the great liberator. Rahab, an example of bravery in the face of death. And Gideon, against all odds, led God's people to one of their greatest victories. Jephthah, the outcast, recalled to lead his people to victory. Giants, heroes of the faith. And little old me. How can you compare me to them, Paul? But let me share a secret with you. These men and women were not superheroes. These were men and women who lived pretty messed up lives. They were imperfect. They made lots of mistakes. Noah, he had a drinking problem. Moses, he had anger issues. 
Jacob, a liar and a cheat. Abram, a polygamist and a liar. David, an adulterer. Rahab, a prostitute. Gideon, he struggled with issues of low self-esteem. And then Jephthah, doubtful, rash, impulsive. But they all had one thing in common. They depended on God. When they were down, they trusted God to take them through. Their lives were transformed by faith in God. And these are the faithful Paul calls uh, us upon to emulate, calling us to run this race of faith. And what is the faith Paul is talking about? Faith that believes in God instead of believing in the narrative that the world gives us. Faith that believes in God's word instead of believing in the shallow lives of the influences on YouTube and Instagram and X. Faith believes in a God while the world scoffs at you for being simplistic and naive in saying, let's pray. Faith depends on God for what he has done and accomplished on our behalf through his son Jesus Christ. And it is to this race of faith that Paul calls us. Through faith, he says, we become superheroes of faith. Now some of us sitting here this morning and listening to this broadcast will choose the way of the world. Will toss aside God and decide to do things our way. And your life, ultimately, will be a disaster. But some of you will choose God's way. And you will look skeptically at the things of this world. You will live a life of faith, standing out from the crowds of the world, so that is so lost in sin and selfishness. You will be a hero a protector of freedom and a carrier of the gospel. You will be a participant and not a spectator. You will put in the hard yards, exercise discipline, and run the race with perseverance, not giving up when you hit the pain barrier, but pressing through to complete the race. Now the list that Paul enumerates in Hebrews 11 could be expanded beyond those he mentioned. He talked about Abram, Moses, and Joseph. But we could add many names. Even from Scripture, you could add Stephen, for example, who stood before the Sanhedrin and testified to his faith, even in the face of a mob ready to lynch him. We can reference one of the apostolic fathers, Polycarp, who was a student of John the Revelator, by the way who, facing the prospect of martyrdom, testified, For 86 years I have been Christ's servant, and he has done me no wrong. 
How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? He was then tied to a stake to be burned, and legend has it that the fire could not even consume him. They took him out of the fire and stabbed him to death, and he died a martyr. We could add Martin Luther, who stood before a council that had the power to burn him at the stake and declared, I cannot and will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I can do no other, so help me God. Another hero we could add is Tim Tebow. Now, who is he? A quarterback for the Jacksonville Jaguars. During an American football game in 2009, Tim Tebow put John 3.16 on the marks under his eyes. You know how they put these black stripes under their eyes? He put the text, the reference, John 3.16 on his eyes, below his eyes. It was discovered later that when the audience noticed it, millions of people googled John 3.16 to read the words, For God so loved the world. An American football player. The Springbok captain, Sia Kulisi, he writes, While struggling with a lot of things personally, temptations, sin, and lifestyle choices, I realized I wasn't a living according to what I was calling myself, a follower of Christ. I was getting by, but I hadn't decided to fully commit myself to Jesus and start living according to his way. He continues, walking alongside a spiritual mentor, I've been able to discover the saving power of Christ in a new way. This new life has given me a peace in my heart I've never experienced before. Now, for those who don't know, Colisi is a blindside flanker of the Springboks. If that means nothing to you, he is the captain of the Springboks. He puts in the hard yards. He makes the sacrifices. He gets down and dirty, but not only in rugby, but in life. In his Christian walk, he is a player, not just a spectator, a superhero for God on and off the field. Like Tim, Tim Tebow, he is unaf unafraid to declare his faith, posting on his Facebook page, Philippians 4 verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He then adds to his 149,000 followers on Facebook, Have a great weekend, guys. A hero of the faith who does not only talk the talk, but walks the walk. They are running their race, persevering in Christ emulating the feats of faith of the great clouds of witnesses. They are believers, not spectators on the sidelines. Faith is real, brothers and sisters. 
Serving God is real. Believing and being a believer is real. It's not a spectator sport. It's not something we do from the sidelines. We get into the game and by faith we stay the course. God is real. Faith is real. Christianity is real. Being a Seventh-day Adventist is real. And I'm emphasizing the realness. It's not that we live a dichotomized hybrid life. You know, our cars today hybrid. Electricity and fuel. And we switch from the one to the other when it's convenient. Many times we live our Christian lives as hybrid Christians. Sabbath Christians and in the week Christians. 11 o'clock to 12 o'clock Christians and 3 o'clock in the afternoon Christians. We need real people to run the race today, tomorrow, and every day. Because the truth is that much of our country is falling away from God and harming our society. The level of integrity and honesty is rapidly dwindling, and it seems to be the norm to bribe, the norm to take kickbacks, the norm to commit fraud and to practice deceit. And it's not just in the political realm or in big business. It manifests itself in all levels of society and all walks of life. And we need ordinary men and women like you to stand up and to become heroes of the faith. To say we need God in our lives. We need God in our country. We need activists for God. And not mere spectators. Being a Christian is not a spectator sport. It is about putting in the hard yards. It is about persevering. It is about playing by the rules. It is about getting down into the dirt. Getting our hands dirty and playing the game. It's about speaking out against corruption, duplicity, underhand dealings, and dishonesty wherever we encounter it. At the workplace, at school, in the classroom, at home, yes, even in the church. We need everyone to dedicate their lives to Jesus Christ and carry his gospel to the lost in our world by living with integrity and honesty. The greatest want in the world is the want of men and women who will stand for the right though the heavens fall. Another quotation, this time from Great Controversy, do what is right because it is right and leave the consequences to God. An interesting story I read this week is about the conversion of the co-founder of the South African Satanic Church. And I'd like to share with you extracts from the report which, was, which came out last year in July 
you can read it on IOL Information Online, July 6, 2022. The headlines, Durban. The co-founder of the South African Satanic Church, Rian Swigelaar, has resigned from the church after he was shown unconditional love and had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Now listen to the report. Swigla said in a live video on his Facebook page that he hoped to quietly slip out of the back door of the Church of Satan because he did not think people would be so interested in his reasons for leaving and dissolving his membership uh, from the South African Satanic Church. He explained that he had joined the church at a time when he was broken. He said he resonated with a lot of what was being shared in the satanic church. Swigela said in May, he was interviewed, or said that in May, because remember this was July, in May he was interviewed on a Cape Town radio station where he proclaimed on air that he did not believe in the existence of Jesus Christ. He says that after the interview, a staffer from the radio station walked up to him and hugged him in a way he had never been hugged before. She held me in a way that I've never been loved. That's all she did. She just said it was nice to meet me in person. A week later on WhatsApp, I found that she is a Christian. I've never had a Christian showing me so much love and acceptance unconditionally. That stayed with me, he said. Further in the article, he says, that's how I recognize the love of Christ. Because four Christians showed it to me and not the others where he had come from. Four Christians showed it to me and from what they showed him he recognized the life of the love of Christ Amen. this is in harmony with what Ellen White says in the ministry of healing page 253 the strongest argument in favor of the gospel is a loving and lovable Christian not preaching not strong doctrinal arguments not veganism, not a beautiful church, not riveting programs, but loving, lovable Christians running the race with endurance, faithful to Christ, and living it. We wrap up. As you go about your life, Think how you can be a testimony to the world. It's not easy, but you can do it. Just like when we run a race or play a sports game, we get tired, yes. We struggle, yes. We hit that pain barrier, yes. But we keep on because we want to finish. We want to win the race. So Paul says to us, run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Let's live for the glory and honor 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not for ourselves, but for God. Not as spectators, but let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Amen.